This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Army decided it needed a redesign of how it approaches information technology. The result, a digital transformation strategy. Now, just four months in, Army officials are already seeing some results, although in some places more than others. Here with the latest, Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. And Scott, let's begin with the Army's goal for digital transformation. They've been talking about it quite a bit. That's right, they have. And it's no small feat. They're reorganizing enough money to really count for $15 billion in how they're creating this strategy. The whole point of it is to create a unity of effort around IT and get people like the CIO strategically involved, not only in the behind the scenes type of things, but to bring it more to the forefront into the actual operations and into the individual units and and field. Uh, What they also are trying to do is ensure the Army is providing the right oversight and support for the digital front on the homeland and, uh, you know, in things like we're seeing in, in Ukraine at this point. And, and down into the innovation at the smallest levels. Yeah, it's remarkable that Russia has been able to mount a force this strong, mainly through modernizing doctrine and a little bit of technology, but certainly not their platforms and their weapons are very old, but they have new ways of approaching it. And as we know, a lot of it has to do with cyber. And so for the U.S. Army, then what, what do they say is working and why do they say it is? Well, one of the big things we heard from the Army CDO, Chief Data Officer, is that keeping data close to the decision makers is what the big takeaway is. The Army found that that when there's areas that the organizational structure is flatter around data, that leads to more innovation and better results. So where are they seeing this most? It's exactly where you'd think they would be seeing it. They're seeing it in Army cyber. They're also seeing it in areas like financial management uh, and really just places where leaders can find the data they need easily, where they can find the analytics and then they, they can take what they think will help them and bring it into actuality. So if someone says, you know, I need the amount of gas that we're using on an airplane, well, they can get that data and try and make it something better, make some sort of pilot program and be able to use that data for innovation. That's where it's working the best. And that's an important point that it's working in financial management because that is where so many plans founder in the long budgetary and complexities of the Army, of the DOD, of the federal government. And so the more people have planning data, the better they can plan and decide what outcomes they want in the short and long-term horizons. That's part of this also, fair to say? Yeah. One of the big things that they pointed out is that they wanted this to go into business processes. They want to be able to save money, but also to streamline things like the budget process and the way that they're budgeting for things like cyber. One of the big issues around the the cyber acquisition is that the timelines are just taking way too long for software and even for hardware. So what they want to do is shore up those kind of areas and also just, you know, be more efficient in the ways that they use money and and budget for it. And what are they saying is not quite working yet up to the modernization goals? Well, just like the areas where we assume that things would be working, like Army Cyber, the places that you think wouldn't be working are the traditional sorts of acquisition areas and legacy systems. So uh, it's areas where data is disjointed, it's siloed, places where data is hoarded at the top echelons and doesn't make it down to those lower decision-making levels. The lower it gets, what they found this flatter structure, you can get it to majors, to lieutenant colonels. That's where you can really make some serious difference. So these legacy systems and more traditional acquisition areas are really a problem, not only in a, a larger scheme, 
but they're a problem in this new data transformation as well. So they've got these kind of roadblocks for where they want the data to flow, or maybe it's holding up a dam because they want it to go downhill in some ways. How is the Army planning to make that happen? How are they going to bridge those gaps? Yeah, one of the things that they've created is an API pilot. And for those that aren't familiar with APIs, they take data and make it more accessible through an interface that's understandable and more user-friendly. It's sort of like a a happy face that you can take from data and uh, look at it on your phone or Twitter in a way as an API of just taking people's thoughts and making it something that people can look at on their phone. That's the most novel description of an application programming interface I've ever heard. So good for you, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So the API pilot is thinking about how this data is tagged in terms of where it can be accessed and by whom. And then also they're experimenting with who gets these permissions. So maybe if they let a captain look at something that they usually wouldn't have a permission to do, that person can think more innovatively about where it can go and what they can use it for. All right. So what is the big picture? How do they envision the Army looking after this transformation? I guess transformation is a continuous process, but they must have some model they've got in mind for the short term here. Yeah, this is actually something you and I have been talking a lot about in the the recent weeks, which is that what skills do soldiers need in today's environment? and that they need some sort of base skill when it comes to digital literacy and data literacy. So they're thinking about this overall understanding for soldiers and then upskilling some of the subject matter experts and making them the premier levels for uh, what they need. And what this all fits into is that idea of multi-domain warfighting. Cyber is going to be part of everything, even when it comes to land, sea, air, and space. So uh, it's this this conjunction of two different domains together or more and making sure that soldiers are trained in that and ensuring that they can work in that environment. And interestingly, I think the incursion, the invasion of the Ukraine shows that the relevance of ground armies equipped with cyber backing is an effective thing, even here in the 21st century, where people thought maybe land armies were obsolete. Maybe they thought too fast. We've been hearing a lot about things like DDoS attacks, which are very simple to do for Russia, but it can jam up communications, jam up intelligence centers, and you know, just keep the Ukrainian army and other armies just out of the, the battlefield and away from areas that they really need to be discussing or communicating at. So these, even just the most rudimentary cyber attacks, can be extremely disruptive for even the most modern of armies. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni, thanks so much. Thank you. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader and what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, The first person personally was my mom. Uh, She was a single parent 
And what I realized is that she was a leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on 
what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly black women and certainly gay black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka. So I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 